Today's Locked On Nationals podcast is brought to you by Built Bar, the best tasting power bar in the game. Check out BuiltBar.com. Use code, code Locked On for $10 off your first order. Today I talked to Corbett Koslack because guess what, folks? Live sports are back. We're going to talk about first Trevor Plouffe's tweets. We're going to talk about what the MLB can glean from the Korean Baseball League that's uh, now on uh, ESPN. I'm not really sure I'm going to watch a whole lot. And also, too, just to indulge myself, and I'm a huge combat sports fan. I'm sure you guys have heard me use combat sports analogies. But UFC 249 is this week. So I thought we'd talk a little bit about the fights, give you guys some betting advice, get you guys excited for that, because guess what? Live sports are back. We should celebrate. And while there's no baseball, we can pay a little bit of attention to our good friends in the MMA arena. So I hope you guys enjoy my conversation with Corbett Koslack. 3-2 to Suzuki. Kurt Suzuki! See you later! The Nets have won it! Seven runs in the bottom of the ninth! This is deep to center field. Bellinger's back. It's a grand slam! Howie Kendrick with a 10th inning grand slam to break it open. The former Dodger breaking hearts in Los Angeles. The kick in, here it comes. Swing and a miss! Swing and a miss! Swing and a miss! And a World Series Game 7 winning Curly W is in the books! The celebration is on! The Washington Nationals are the world champions! You are listening to the Locked On Nationals Podcast, your one-stop shop for news, analysis, and conversation surrounding your reigning, undisputed World Series champion, Washington Nationals. Now, here's your host, Josh Neighbors. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Locked On Nationals Podcast, presented by Bill Barr. Today is May 6th. It's Wednesday. We're recording this. This will air on a Thursday, so it'll still be very relevant. My good friend Corbett Kozlak is joining me because um, the the title really of this is Live Sports Are Back. They are back for sure. Now, in the, in the certain capacities that we're used to, not really. But for before we get to that, um, Trevor Plouffe, uh, former MLB, I forgot, I forgot all the teams he played for. Journeyman, really. Twins, A's. Um, yeah, oh, it might have been it, but. Yeah, one of, the, one of the great baseball names of the last twenty years. Right, Trevor, Trevor Plouffe. Plouffe. So Trevor Plouffe tweeted that baseball would be coming back July first, spring training and stuff. I guess whatever the modified spring training would be, would be in June. And um, you know, you were talking before that Keith Law had responded. I saw some uh, some reporting on the Athletic that said July one. Um, well, it's I mean, still a date that could happen. It's just not in the works right now from all the other reporting that we're seeing. Is that what you're kind of is that kind of the way you feel, Corbett? Well, it feels like they come up with a different story every week and then next week you, you never hear from it again. Like for a while it was like, okay, we're gonna do the full season, we're gonna do double headers, we're gonna, you know, play the World Series in Los Angeles, and then a couple weeks later, uh, we're gonna have three ten team divisions and all this different stuff, hundred game season, and then Trevor Plouffe tweets this. It's like I feel what we need is like a Rob Manfred to come up and just give, you know, a press conference, update the public as to what's going on. Because right now you have Trevor Plouffe talking about, and this is straight from his tweet, he said that, quote, I just heard from multiple sources that on June 10th, spring training two will start, and then July 1st would be opening day and all teams would be playing at their home ballparks. He's saying that with, 
you know, quote unquote sources when nobody really knows. And then you have people who think of themselves as sources coming out and saying, whoa, 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 that's false. And it's kind of just left a bunch of room for speculation. And it's getting to the point where it's kind of annoying for people who just want factual information um, about when baseball is returning, when sports are returning in general. Today's Locked On Nationals podcast is brought to you by Built Bar, the best tasting power bar ever. Also check out their website, Built Boost, as well, too. Built Bars are tasty. It's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, 16 amazing flavors, 8 chocolate nut flavors, 8 chocolate without nut flavors. Bars are covered in 100% chocolate, soft and easy to chew. They're also very healthy. Built Bar is a great for is great for a health-conscious guy. Lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, and high-fiber. Flavor profile of a peanut butter brownie, one of my father's favorite. 20 grams of protein, 170 calories, 3 grams of sugar, and 3 grams of net carbs. Flavor profile for the mint brownie, which I just had after another long day of biking. Been crushing these bikes. Been crushing these built bars. 15 grams of protein, 110 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 5 grams of net carbs. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and get $10 off your first order. Use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. Right, and so that, that was the curious part about it is that, you know, I think, I think baseball is put out a lot of – I think they've selectively leaked some of the information because they wanted to see what uh, the public's reaction would be to some of the things that we've heard, right? They wanted to hear – what we thought about the divisions. They wanted to hear what the public was thinking about the length of the season, um, where the games are going to be played. According to Trevor Plouffe, they're going to be played in teams' home stadiums. Um, I have not checked to see if he has backed up on what he said or doubled down on it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm, I found it very hard to believe that they, that baseball would be playing in the home stadiums. See, that's, I think that's the only way it can work. Uh, like in South Korea with the KBO, we'll get to it a little bit. They're playing in three or four different stadiums. They're not playing in all their home stadiums. But South Korea is the size of like half a state in the United States. You can go home on the day and come back. You can't do that in America. Like like their original plan for having everyone in Arizona and everyone in Florida. People have families. There's a bunch of baseball players that have, you know, newborn children or elementary age children or wives they want to get back to. So not playing in home stadiums is a lot bigger of an issue here where you can't just drive three hours and be home. I think the only way they could return is if they do play in their home stadiums. Uh, Here's the full tweet. Want some good baseball news? I just heard from multiple sources that on June 10th, spring training two will start July 1st. will be opening day and all teams will be playing in their home ballparks. Well, I mean, the problem is, is, is the travel, right? I mean, the, the localization of, of the travel, like, makes it a lot easier. That's why they were floating having teams that are in the same area play against each other. Um, from, from my point of view, I think this really only works in about three or four stadiums. If they – now, I think what they'd have to do is they'd have to keep, like, those 10 team divisions near the stadium they're going to be playing or stadiums they're going to be playing in. Um, I think, I mean, I was just thinking about this in my, my head. You cannot have people traveling between New York. Like think about, you know, the area of the country I'm in. I just, I just don't know how you get people traveling between New York, DC, um, Boston, uh, you know, these really Philadelphia, these densely populated cities 
that in, in especially the case of Philadelphia and New York have been hit very hard by the coronavirus. I don't know how you have players like living at home and traveling between those places playing. To me, that does not seem feasible yet. Here's the thing as far as professional athletes are concerned. We saw it, uh, you know, professional athlete privilege from the get-go of the whole pandemic. We, you, we have stories coming out about how impossible it is to get tested. And meanwhile, the entire NBA has been tested for the coronavirus. And right. nobody else can find tests anywhere. Like, there is a way to get around that for professional athletes. Yeah, you right. can't travel. Well, take your private jet. Have everyone wear masks. Stay in secluded hotels. That and, and you know, no fans. You know, funnels back and forth to the ballpark in cars that have been wiped down. You know, with people who have been tested negative. Like, there's ways to get around that for professional athletes, just like there was at the beginning of this whole thing. Yeah, I guess. But I mean, it, when we're talking about those densely populated areas, that's where I think it's it a little bit tricky. Yeah, I understand, you know, because, I mean, obviously you're going to have to come into contact with somebody. Right, right. With, I just think, there, I mean, there's different ways around it. They're not average human. They're not average citizens in the same right. way that they were all tested. It's the same thing that they could keep them safe. Again, safety is obviously of the utmost concern. Um, but kind of going back to my original thought on this whole thing, just give us actual news. You know, like, there right. is no reason that you that they, that they he can't come out and say something. Robert Anford can't have a press conference, like, just like, you know, every political official has had over the last uh, couple of months. There's no reason Rob Manford can't come out and just tell us what is going on, where his mindset's at. Even Adam Silver, who came out in the media and said, we are not telling you anything until May 1st. That let everyone know, okay, until May 1st, we're not going to have any official news. Rob Manford right. needs to do something along those lines. Uh, the one thing is back, Korean baseball, the KBO, they've reached a deal with ESPN six games a week. You checked out a little bit of it. Look, here's my quick spiel on this. And I think this also applies to UFC 249, which is happening this weekend, which um, you know I feel like is not getting the coverage that it should at this point in time. But KBO's back six games a week on ESPN. You, excuse me, you watch some of it. Your early impressions of what you've seen, is it going to stick? I don't think it's going to stick. That's my big thing is I don't think it's going to stick. I just don't think we. Why? You know, what do you? Why you got fans loving it's not going to stick or what's not? People don't. People don't it. care. It's too early in the morning and people don't care. Like you know, there's no reason for me to get up, you know, at five thirty and watch the Samsung Lions play. It's just they've got no reason to do it. There is a minute portion of the United States of America, degenerate nation, the gamblers that love the KBO, love it. The fact now, if the KBO was. Going on, like this was going on, ESPN was televising a game at 1 o'clock, 5 o'clock in the morning. When all the other sports are going on, it, you would sleep through it. Nobody would care. You know, it's just like any, it's like the, my, the, the Australian Open is on at 3 o'clock in the morning. And while it's a huge thing, nobody watches it because 3 o'clock in the morning in North America. It'd be the same deal. The, I, the idea is right now that there is literally nothing else going on. So if you want, you know, that, that little taste of what you have to stay up. And some people are, I mean, there's, there's a large portion of, of Twitter that I'm a part of that is like revolving their sleep schedules around when this KVO is going to be going on. I stayed up and watched, you know, six or seven innings. It's something. And it's not great, but I mean, you have, when you have nothing for where we at 60, 65 days now, the KBO is something for people to, to wet their whistles with, I guess. Yeah. That's kind of, that's kind of, I guess the thought, especially degenerate nation is going to be all over this. Surprisingly, I know, and I'm and look, I'm not gonna act like I'm not part of the Generate Nation. I have not been attracted to the KBO at all. It's not something I'm interested in watching. It's not something I'm interested in seeing. I, I like baseball, but I mean, and I love I love baseball. I love sports, 
but I'm not enough to a point where I'm like going to watch the KBO. I just, um, my whistle does, my whistle does not need to be wet that badly. Uh, the quality of baseball, Corbett, you know, you were, we were talking about a little bit before the show, but go ahead and tell the folks if they do watch KBO, what can they expect? Well, it's been widely doc and about widely documented. I mean, in the last three days, the minimal research that have been done by the American press on the KBO to give uh, some sort of idea as to what to expect. They de-juiced the ball, the opposite of what Major League Baseball did a couple of years ago. They were like, we're, we're having too many home runs, so we're going to de-juice the ball. The league leader in home runs, they play 144-game seasons. The league leader in home runs last year had 33. Uh, it's been widely documented how, many bat, how much bat flips are celebrated in South Korean culture as well. Um, but there's, about, there's around the same amount of runs. There's, the batting averages are 15 points higher um, on the average in South Korea than they are in Major League Baseball, there's a lot less strikeouts. There's a lot more singles. The slugging percentage is healthily lower than the United States, but the batting average is way higher. They play no doubles defense pretty much exclusively in the outfield. Um, but it's fun because there's more balls in play, and as of right now, we have literally nothing else to do. So the KBO is keeping people afloat. Now, like you said, once baseball comes back, you know, once people have other stuff to occupy their time and the KBO is going on you know, at 3 o'clock in the morning, then the love will fade. But for right now, I mean, it, it's there. People are watching it. People are betting on it. Uh, the broadcast experience is interesting, too. Carl Ravitch and Eduardo Perez broadcasting from, like, their basements. It's pretty awesome to watch. Right. Yeah, it's interesting, too. I know Tim Kirchin's on tomorrow morning. Ravitch, Perez for the 5.30 game, or it was this morning, were, or whenever that game so, was. Something that There's so many things that have come from this pandemic that you will never, ever see in the rest of – you know, the, like the, the rest of time, really, you're never going to see anything. There was 1.30 in the morning. There was a rain delay to start Dinos Lions two nights ago, opening day, the first game <laughs> on ESPN. And there were, I, I, I haven't gotten the ratings for it, at least hundreds of thousands of people, probably, more, probably close, you know, close to 500, 600,000 people at 1.30 in the morning watching a live interview with Eric Thames. From the Milwaukee <laughs> Brewers, <laughs> a live interview at 1.30 in the morning. Well, now the Washington Coast time. Now the Washington Nationals, Eric. There Thames. you go. Yeah, we've got to, got to loop it back around. Eric Thames, a live interview being watched. And yeah, the dude's good. He wears the biggest elbow brace in Major League history. It's the only record he holds. It's just an insane. It's an insane thing to think about. Like, that'll never ever happen. Some average major leaguer giving an interview from his from his couch at 1:30 in the morning is being watched by hundreds of thousands of Americans. It, it, it's crazy. Tonight's Locked On Nationals podcast is brought to you in part by Postmates, friends. Live athletic competition is coming back to the United States this coming week. UFC 249 on Saturday. I am going to be dialed in. Prelims start at 6.30, and you know I will be all good to go thanks to Postmates. Um, I'll be taking advantage of their alcohol delivery, going to get some beer delivered, going to get some wings delivered, going to have some friends over, but we're going to stay distant. Do not worry. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great way to get things delivered without having to leave the house. And if you're like me, you're probably thinking about what you're going to have for dinner while you're eating lunch. I love food, and that's why I love using Postmates. And I also love beer, too. I kind of love them even more right now because I can get food delivery, get food delivered, excuse me, without leaving the house or even opening the door. Given what's going on in the world, they've created a non-contact delivery system. So now when I, get, I order from local restaurants, everything gets left right outside my door. They also have Postmates Pickup, which I've been using to order takeout food from my favorite local restaurants. Listen up. You guys need to be supporting your neighborhood spots right now more than ever. Yes, 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 and yes, you need to be doing that. I've only been ordering local. It's a great way to support my community and Postmates as well, too. 
And Postmates doesn't just deliver burgers and sushi. They actually make life easier by picking up everything I need from Walgreens and 7-Eleven and dropping it off outside my door. Just download Postmates on iOS or Android, find your favorites, and get anything you want delivered within the hour. For a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. Start your free deliveries, download the app, and use the code LOCKEDON. That's code LOCKEDON for $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmates it. All right, so now we're going to move on. Um, and I know this podcast, look, it's a baseball podcast, it's a Washington Nationals podcast. But in the spirit of live sports being back, Corbett, you and I are going to give our UFC 249 preview and predictions because and I think it's important that UFC 249 is happening. It's happening this weekend in Jacksonville, Florida, empty arena. But um, it's, it's, I think a lot of sports are going to be looking to this sport to see uh, you know, I think Major League Baseball is going to be watching more closely to KBO to see what stuff they can do, what stuff they can incorporate to make things a bit safer. But, yeah, the UFC is the first major American sports league that is going to be returning to action, and they do so this weekend, like I said, in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, we'll start – we have to start with this main event. Tony Ferguson versus Justin Gaethje for the interim UFC lightweight championship. Good Lord, is this thing going to be a, a violent, violent fight? Tony Ferguson comes in riding a 12-fight winning streak, previously claimed that uh, UFC interim lightweight belt. Justin Gaethje, the king of violence, one of the baddest, baddest dudes on the entire planet. One to ten, what's your excitement level for this main event? The whole card is a ten at this right. point. And one of the things I want to touch on before we get fight by fight, this is one of the silver linings, this whole card, the whole purpose of this UFC 249, is one of the silver linings because of all these fights that got pushed back. If this card was on a Saturday in the middle of September, with even with college football going on and the sports crazes in love, this card would be being heralded as one of the best cards in a very long time. Because mm. we're kind of in a, a, a sports drought right now, people aren't really thinking about it. It's going to get lost. But this is an excellent card. I mean, you've got guys who would usually be fighting in main events. Donald, uh, Cowboy Cerrone was in a main event what, a couple of months ago, and now he is fighting on the prelim card. Uh, right. It, this is just an insane card. But, yeah, this fight is a 10. Every fight on this card is a 10. Going to be invested the entire way, uh, 100%. Yeah, this fight's going to be awesome. Uh, as far as picking it goes, uh, Tony Ferguson, I would go with Tony Ferguson. Not only is he the favorite, but he also had a full camp. He's been ready to fight somebody for a very long time. He made wait for a fight that didn't happen. The dude yeah. mentally is there. The dude mentally is there, and you got to go with Tony, Fer Tony Ferguson. Uh, yeah, I'm leading Tony, Tony Ferguson, but I think the and, and for you fans out there who don't understand, like cutting weight is really damaging to these guys. I mean, it's just that th they do, they go through to get themselves down to make weight the day before a fight. Tony Ferguson on April, I guess it was 19th or 18th, whenever he had to weigh in, um, he made weight for a fight, like you said, Gorbett, that got canceled. But beforehand, so, it wasn't like he made it and then found out. He was like, you know what? I'm right, going to make yeah. weight anyway. <laughs> I, got nothing yeah. else. I got nothing better to do. And he and Justin Gates were going back and forth. And I think Ferguson even said, like, do you make weight too? I made it. Um, Tony Ferguson is only a minus 175 favorite in this fight. I love those odds for him. I think Justin Gaethje, you know, when you look at his past record, he's on a three-fight winning streak. But whenever he goes up against the best of the best, um, you know, the, the Eddie Alvarez's uh, of the world, he had, and also Dustin Poirier too. He has faltered, and um, 
he I, he puts on a show and he's always there till the very end. But this fight is is going to be crazy. It's got like, these guys. Great, I, it's got like one of the great fights of all time, like potential to this fight with the it, with the styles of, of these two candidate. guys. It's a fight of the year candidate and hasn't even happened yet. Like that is how good this fight is. Now the the one interesting about this, and I believe Dana White when he said it. He said, this fight, I guarantee you're going to get your money's worth. And he, and he said, I never say that about fights because I can promise you, it never happens in this fight. You're going to get your money's worth. I am so pumped for this. I, this, I mean, I'm glad to have sports back, but I don't, if, for those of you out there who don't know who these guys are, these are two of the, two of the dudes, and I'm going to steal a term from my former uh, work colleague, Luke Thomas. These are two dudes who are willing to sacrifice everything on the altar of athletic glory. Like they, they're going to put their bodies completely on the line for your entertainment. I can promise you that. And I think uh, kind of a, a, a side note, they're not being fans. There is not going to be a big deal for UFC fights. Yes. For the intro. But once the fight starts mentally, it doesn't matter to the fighters and be a lot of the noise that you hear on the broadcast comes from the commentators and the fight anyway. Fans are very minimally heard in, right. like, the main event. So, like, this is not going to be a big deal. And the prelim fights happen with nobody in the stands anyway. Oh, it's going to be. The main card. Like, people are <laughs> – uh, everyone on this card at one point has fought with no fans in the stands. So, I don't think yeah. this is going to be a very, very big deal. And also, too, they're going to be able to hear their corner advice, which will be fun for us to hear some of the corner advice. But, I mean, yeah, and, and also one big thing is we're not going to hear the wooing. You know, we're not going to hear the, the inbreds in the crowd – Doing the woo like we always hear, like Ric Flair woo, which gets so annoying. Um, so you and I I'm are looking Tony forward. Stark. I am looking forward to the Bruce Buffer uh, echoing around the entire <laughs> arena with no fans there to take it in. Uh, I wonder, like, I think for broadcast quality, he still has to like get into it the same way he would get into it with fans there. Seems like he's practicing in his in his bathroom mirror. Uh, at with at, at UFC well, 249. He's used to doing those on the prelims too, anyway. Like, you know, the fights where nobody, just the family members are there. But so, there I mean, is, like, the big difference between one fan being there and no fans being there. Like, there, he's doing uh, it to nobody. No, none of the fighters care. Like, I'm like, yeah, they use it to get jazzed up, but they also use the crowd for that. Like, they're not there to care about all that. Right. Uh, you and I both have Ferguson. Moving on, next fight. Henry Cejudo, Dominic Cruz. Dominic Cruz, almost four-year layoff, comes to an end as he comes back to face Triple C Henry Cejudo, who is a gold medalist. He was a UFC flyweight division champion at 125 pounds and now a US, UFC um, featherweight champion. Or featherweight. Uh, he is bantamweight champion at 135 pounds. Dominic, the dominator, Cruz, one of the best lightweights, lightweight fighters of all time. Um, the king of the bantamweights. He's back. He's only plus, he's plus 180. That's what, that's, those are not good enough odds for me to take somebody who's been on the shelf that long. Minus 230 for Henry Cejudo Corbett. I love that bet. I think it's a really strong, strong um, uh, quantity right there you're going to get. I mean, it's – minus 230 is, is some vague, but uh, for the spot that Cejudo's in, I love him in this fight. Yeah, at this point, with when you have four years in between fights, it always goes one of two ways. It seems like you either come up and it's this huge redemption story and you hear it you know, all over forever, or it's – Oh, man, he was not ready. He spent four years, and he still wasn't ready for this fight. At minus 230, I think you almost have to parlay it because you're not going to go with it straight. Um, right. But uh, Dominic Cruz at plus 180, you're right. It's got enough value for someone coming off four years of not fighting. Thoughts on this fight? Who do you see pulling it out? 
Uh, I'm going to go with Cejudo just because of the Dominic Cruz, uh, the four-year layoff. Having to come back. It's not like he's coming back and fighting some scrub either. He's coming back and fighting Henry yeah. Cejudo after four years of not, of not being in the octagon. All right, next fight. Francis Ngannou, Jairzinho Rosenstruck. Uh, two destructive heavyweights. Guys who have... I mean, you, you could have slapped a UFC interim heavyweight title on this fight. I think that would have been fair because right now Stevie Miocic has said that he does not want to fight until the um, until this pandemic is over. So they slapped an interim belt on this. I wouldn't have been um, wouldn't have complained. But minus two eighty five for Ngannou. Rosenstruck is plus two twenty five. I mean, I, I like in heavyweight fights, man. Take the live dog. Lay a little money here on Rosenstruck. It's the first underdog. I think I like to win this fight. I think there's a chance that Rosenstruck outpoints Ngannou. Um, Ngannou can be lulled into kind of a slower fight, and if Rosenstruck can kind of get him into deeper waters and outpoint him. Might not be the most exciting fight in the world, but I think Rosenstruck can get a win. Yeah, this is interesting. Uh, and they, to my knowledge, they have not put an interim belt on it, have they? No, they, no, 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 no. There's no yeah. interim belt. I'm saying yeah. they could have. They, they, they could, could have. have. Yeah, that's exactly where I was thinking, too. What's interesting about this fight that you do not get with Nganu fights is it's going to be three rounds. So Nganu, I mean, however, his last however many fights have been main events, so they've been five-round fights. Uh, he not that it takes five rounds, but like you said, with Rosenstreak, Rosenstruck, um, trying to outpoint Ngannou, he only has to do that two times in a three-round fight. It's not like he has to stand up there and take blows for 25 minutes. So that changes the dynamic a little bit. Now, Rosenstruck, his last win, I believe, was over Alistair Overeem um, back uh, tail into 2019. And yep. I remember the, the cards came out after the fight. And he would have lost like 30 or 50, 45 across all the scorecards without that knockout with like nine seconds to go in the fifth round. Um, so it wasn't like he was outpointing Alistair Overeem either. Uh, but the heavyweight, anytime one punch can send you flying, I think plus 225 is a lot of value, especially with a guy like Ugangana who wants to stand and bang. You look at the rest of the card, you've also got Jeremy Stevens, Calvin Cater. It's a good fight. Greg Hardy is on this main card fighting against Jorgen DeCastro. So a name a lot of people know. I like Hardy in that spot um, against DeCastro, a guy with not a ton of UFC experience. Hardy has quickly gained a bunch of UFC experience. I mean, you look at I, – I have to go check his record really fast. He's 5-2, and two, um, I think. 5-2 and two with, a D, with a disqualification or a, yeah, or a no contest, a D, a D, something like that. Yeah, a DQ loss and then, you know, a fight that he probably would have won and then – um, he lost to Alexander Volkov when he basically got the call up uh, to, to be in that fight. And like two did, weeks ahead of time, yeah. Right, and I thought he did a very good job of presenting himself in a fight that he clearly lost. But a guy like Jorgen de Castro, it's a step down for him. So uh, I kind of, I kind of like in this spot. I really like Greg Hardy. Um, this also, is the kind he, of fight that's going to tell people what kind of person. Like, okay, I don't want to say what kind of person Greg Hardy is. I think it's been pretty established that he's not a very nice human being. Um, right. But what kind of UFC fighter Greg Hardy is, because like you said, it's a step down. You, go, you fight Volkov. He got up for that. There weren't really any expectations. There's kind of a little bit of an expectation here for Greg Hardy. Like he should step in. He should knock this guy out. So if he doesn't, that kind of changes maybe the perception of, of, of his of his the early parts of his UFC career. And then you have Anthony Pettis and Donald Cerrone in a fight that's a major crossroads fight. I mean, Yes. You can if, yes. if one of whoever loses this fight, I mean, you it's can done. basically you can basically say, "Hey, thank thank you for all you've given to our sport." I mean, you've got Cerrone, who is the cowboy, the consummate professional, the guy who said, "Hey, I didn't brand to the last McGregor fight." You know, he said Donald was there, Cowboy wasn't. Um, mm -hmm. Three straight losses. 
And Pettis, a guy who's lost a couple. I'm I love Anthony Pettis' shot here. I mean, I, I think at 33, he'll he'll suffer a couple losses and he'll come back and get a win in a big spot. I think this is showtime. I think this is his moment. And I think this is where um we kind of see Cowboy, he'll main event some more fight night cards, but he'll probably do it to help shepherd in a new guy to the division. I think he's starting to move back to the point where he is maybe a gatekeeper to the top 15, more so than he is a guy who's going to be in the top 10 trying to maybe get towards title contention. This fight is a lose-lose fight with one of those losers in all caps because the loser of this fight, I mean, you lost to a guy who can't win. Like, I, right. you, can, you can't come back and lose this fight. And if you win, you beat a guy who can't win, which is also not impressive. Uh, Anthony Pettis uh, got lost to Nate Diaz after he came back from however many years off, and then Cowboy comes out and says, I didn't, I didn't show up for the McGregor fight. You know, it was just a payday. Essentially, is what people, you know, took it as. And he was a very popular underdog in that fight against Conor McGregor, who was making his first UFC appearance since he got beat up after the fight uh, against Habib. So neither one of these fighters, it's like, who wants it least is kind of what it feels like <laughs> coming into this fight. Like, you're not going to feel good betting either side of this fight with the way that fighter has looked recently. A lot of times I disagree did. with you, man. I, I love Pettis in this fight. I think this is, I think this is, look, he's 33 and Cowboy's 37, man. He's, he's on the way out. I, I think Cowboy is really on the way out. I mean, he got that Connor fight on a, on a back-to-back, you know, he lost back-to-back fights, three straight. This is a breaking point. This is a loser leaves town match. Uh, and I'm going to, yeah, it's a loser leaves town. That's a great way to put it. I'm going to give you like a reason as to why you cannot absolutely bet on Donald Cerrone. Uh, it goes back to what our uh, former colleague and friend Daniel Virag told me about Anthony Joshua, Andy Ruiz fight. Uh, Anthony Joshua said, I took this fight to rejuvenate my love for boxing. That's not why you take fights. Don- Cowboy Cerrone came out last or whatever long after the McGregor fight and said, yeah, you know, I just didn't really show up in that fight. Like a, a little bit too nonchalant for someone that like fought Conor McGregor, you know, an all time great in the UFC. Right. And you just, at what point do you get that back? I don't think I, like, you haven't seen any training videos or, you know, Oh, I'm back. I'm cowboy. Like he just did not seem ready in that fight. And it's hard for you to see. He's going to seem ready here either. Yeah, I mean, he shows up. Well, how present he'll be is a bit is a big thing. He he says he's going to be, so we'll see. But I love Anthony Pettis here at minus, yeah, especially without the fans. Like, if you can't get there with the fans and with the whole atmosphere, how are you going to show up for a fight in the back alley behind you That's know, fair. yards? Like, I don't, yeah, I don't understand <laughs> that. Um, Verdum and Olenek and a, a nice old guy fight, a really nice old heavyweight fight. Verdum back from his suspension against Olenek, the guy who has. Um, he has what's called an Ezekiel choke. He's got that old man squeeze. Yeah, he does. He has like the only three Ezekiel chokes in like UFC yeah. history. Yeah, he's and, and it's he somehow always seems to get them. Carla Esparza, Michelle Waterson should be a really fun fight. Both those ladies always bring it. Ronaldo Jacare Sosa against Uriah Hall. Those two guys are both exciting fighters. Vicente Luque and Nico Price is another fun fight uh, as well too. So I mean, you look up and down this card, and there's a lot of excitement. What's your lock, Corbett, you think, Hedigan? Uh, give me a lock for UFC 249 on Saturday. A lock for UFC 249. I'm going to go back to the Pettis-Cerrone fight. Yeah. I mean, you just – there is zero – yes. Like, if Anthony Pettis against 90% of that weight class, you absolutely are, are a little hesitant to touch it. 
when a guy comes out and says, I just wasn't ready, and then fights again on a relatively short fight span, and it, like against now uh, uh, Pettis after losing to McGregor, you just, there's no absolutely zero motivation for you to ever want to bet that. But Greg Hardy also also looks good after looking really good against Volkov, and now he gets, that, gets a step down in class on the main card against Jorgon de Castro. Is there anything you think that the that the at Major League Baseball could learn or could glean from uh, from this game? Do you think there's anything that they could say, you know, from this game from these fights? Do you think there's anything that you could look at and say we could apply this to ours, you know, or, or just uh, the testing stuff is kind of my number one. But is there anything you think they could possibly look at and say, oh, that'd be good to use? Um, yeah, you know, I mean, that kind of goes back to the the KBO, too. Like, KBO, they're going to look at their probably more than they look at the UFC, like you said earlier. KBO, they uh, dis- uh, they didn't use the word ban. They used the word highly discouraging high fives. They are There is a ban on spitting. Um, uh, all non-player personnel or coaches have to wear masks. Uh, that kind of stuff they'll use. The, the South Korean KBO is not testing daily, like MLB has said they will. Um but from these fights, it's kind of the same thing. I think everyone's kind of used to taking a universal approach. They'll see how well it works with the no fans. Obviously, baseball is a little bit different with no fans. There's a lot of silence throughout the game. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we'll see how it works. I'd be interested to see as far as, like, there is nothing more personal as far as being six feet away than trying to punch somebody or grappling on the ground with somebody. So if the USC can do it, then I would assume most <laughs> other sports can. Because, I mean, like, social distancing as far as, like, I wonder if the referee is going to touch their wrists, you know, when he, when he, when they go to win, then they win a fight and to lift their arm up. I don't know how that's going to work. So we'll see I mean, if you're going to be close to each other, you might as well. I mean, the, the, not touching their wrists is not going to make you any less susceptible, especially when you're in the ring and there's body, body fluids flying all over the place. So the UFC is, it's a little bit of an early return for a sport that is probably as susceptible to the virus as just about anyone. Yeah, I, I think they, they followed some state guidelines, so I'll give a pass on that. But it still feels a bit early. But you know what? It's live sports, and um, we hope everybody stays safe. We hope it goes well in core. But it's, it's, kinda, it's, just, it's good to have them back, isn't it? Very much so. We're looking forward to Saturday. All right, Corbett, appreciate your time, man. Where can the people find you on social media? It's at Corbett, K-O-R-B-E-T-T underscore Coastlack, K-O-S-E-L-A-K on Twitter. Mostly when baseball season starts, it'll be me whining about the Cubs, but there's also, you know, a lot of other stuff on there. I like to have fun. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Make sure you guys go and check out the oh, check out Corbett's uh, social media. Check out, as well, the Locked On MLB podcast and the Locked On Fantasy Baseball podcast. All these fun things part of the Locked On Podcast Network. <laughs>